So we are continuing our series today that we're calling Wherever You Go. And it coincides with the rollout of some strategic messaging, uh, the culmination of a, a lot of hard work that we've been doing over the last several months during the pandemic. When all of our ministry was forced to go digital, we took that as an opportunity to, to look closely at who we are, uh, at who we believe that God is calling us to reach, and what is the message that best communicates who we are authentically and why we think that those who God has chosen us to reach, those that we think that we are uniquely suited, that might love our church if they got to know us, if they got to know what we're all about. Last week, we talked about our core story, that narrative that takes into account each part of the communication triangle that connects emotionally with our target audience. It offers those who we are trying to reach with a plan, with a, a vision for a better future. Now, we've also put together a video that tells that story. It's designed to connect with folks in a, in a compelling way. I want to I show you that video now. You are valuable. You are worthy of love. You are already a part of what God is doing in the world. Now, can you accept these words without a hint of hesitation? Maybe that statement feels like home, comfortable, familiar. But what if you can't accept these words? And you wonder, can they ever be true for you too? Maybe you think you used up your value years ago left with little more than a memory of who you once were. Or maybe unacceptable is the only label that you've ever known. To feel worthy of love, to sense that we are part of what God is doing in the world. And no accomplishment, no accolade, no promotion can heal that soul wound. We should know. Many of us watched our golden moments of greatness fade into the past. And others of us failed where we thought we should have succeeded or merely felt like we were born failures. But here we found freedom, a brave space where it's okay to be vulnerable, friends who were curious enough to listen to our stories, and a community compassionate enough to walk with us through it all as we seek to follow Jesus together. And though it has its starts and stops, we've noticed that our lives move in the direction of more, more healing, more wholeness, more hope. And through it all, here's what we've discovered for ourselves, and here's what we want to say to you, that no matter who you are or what you've done, you are valuable, you are worthy of love, and you are already a part of what God is doing in the world. So we invite you to University Christian Church, where you can experience Christ's courageous love for yourself and learn to carry that love with you wherever you go. Isn't that great? Now you may notice that the title for this series is the last three words of that core story, wherever you go. So this morning, I want to introduce you to our new visual identity. It's more than a simple logo. It's a visual symbol that represents our vision of who we are 
and who God is calling us to be. In this series, we're connecting our strategic messaging to our mission statement. In a lot of ways, our message is our mission, and our mission is our message. Our mission as a congregation is to seek the sacred, commit to love, and empower to serve. Those are the three steps, the three stages of this series. So our text this morning is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. The early church arranged the collected letters of Paul, what we oftentimes refer to as the Pauline epistles, on the basics of length. And so as the longest letter, Romans was placed first, though actually it was among the last, if not the last, of Paul's letters. In a real sense, Romans is indeed the the premier Pauline letter. For the history of the church, it's, it's had the most influence, and it contains the longest, most sustained argument of any of Paul's letters. And it comes closest to probably being a summary of Paul's faith. In the section of the letter that we'll be reading from today, Paul outlines what he believes to be the marks of the true Christian. And as you'll hear, Paul considers love to be, to be the supreme gift of the Spirit. But for Paul, love is not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. It's an action. It's expressed in the, in the concrete caring, in the, in the deeds for the benefit of other people. So I invite you to listen now to this word from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Today's scripture is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. Here begins the reading. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let love be genuine, Paul says. Love from the center of who you are, one translation says. Don't try to fake it. I mentioned last week that people that are new to a congregation, especially first-time guests, that they typically know, either consciously or subconsciously, whether they will return for a second visit within 10 minutes parking their car, before they know how well the choir sings, before they know if the preacher has any idea what he's talking about. They just know. They can sense the, the moment that they walk in the door, if the love that is expressed in that place, in that congregation, if it's genuine, if it's sincere, 
if it's at the center of who they are or they're just faking it because they can sense it. They can feel it. And if it's not genuine, if it's not sincere, they'll know immediately, instinctually. I always say that if a church is in conflict, if there's disagreements and skirmishes and parking lot conversations, that people know that too. Have you ever walked into an organization, maybe a business, an office, a work situation, or maybe even a church? That There's conflict there and you can just feel the tension in the room. It's almost as if you can smell it in the air. You see, people know if love is genuine, if it's at the center of who they are, you can't fake it. No matter how hard you try, they will smell you out. Brian McLaren is a writer that has served as a pastor. And in his book, The Great Spiritual Migration, he reflects on the transition from being, from being a pastor of a church to being a member of one. And he wondered which parts, as he was making that transition, which parts of church that he would miss and which parts that he could just as soon do without. He said this, he said, what I needed as a parishioner was very different from what had preoccupied me as a pastor. I wasn't looking for clever sermons or a certain style of music. I didn't need a church that was cool or contemporary, big or small. I certainly didn't need a church whose primary goal was to police the belief system of its members. Instead, he said, I wanted, I needed a church that would help me live a life of love with as little distraction as possible. I needed sustenance. I needed encouragement. I needed help in loving God, loving myself, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my extended family, loving my neighbors, especially people that I might struggle to love. Most of the conversations that I'm having these days with clergy colleagues are about what the church might look like on the other side of the pandemic. But the more that I think about it, though, the more I tend to think that ultimately that isn't the most pressing question. More pressing to me, it seems, to us, is how do we, how do we learn to live in deep, loving ways so that we look, so that we act, so that we talk, that we walk like Jesus? And how can our community of faith help us to do just that? They'll know we are Christians by our love, we sang just a moment ago. And that might be the simplest, clearest vision of what it means to be church. You see, a church is to help us navigate through the complexities of life in a way that makes us more loving, more thankful, more generous, more forgiving, more outwardly focused. And if it doesn't do that, then what's the point? Isn't that what genuine love looks like? Isn't that what Paul says are the marks of a true Christian? My wife Kelly is in the marketing field. And those in that industry talk about the importance of leaning into your organization's brand identity. A good logo, marketing folks will tell you, is memorable. It differentiates you from everyone else. It makes a strong first impression and it, it fosters a brand loyalty. What you want to do, they say, is to create a brand that connects with your audience, those that you're trying to reach. Because the world, let's, let's acknowledge it, is, is a noisy place. And you need a, a cohesive brand. You need a logo that strategically cuts through all of the static in order to reach your target audience. 
It's the foundation for all strategy, for all communication, for all design. As I mentioned last week, we've been working with a creative agency that specializes in working with churches to help us develop our brand. Now, I'm aware that there are some in this congregation that may push back on that and say that, that the church shouldn't be worried about this sort of thing, that we're not a business and we shouldn't worry about a brand. I get that. I understand that concern. But I also understand that this is the world in which we live. These are the waters in which we swim. And if we're going to be able to cut through all of the noise and all the static of our world to make an impact, to reach the people that, that God calls us to reach with the good news of Christ's transforming love, then we need to have the tools to grab their attention, to connect with them where they are, to invite them into a conversation in a compelling way. You may have noticed that we have been slowly rolling out and sort of introducing our new logo, our, our brand on some of our materials and, and also around the campus here. And I want to tell you a little bit about what it all means, what it stands for, and, and how it represents us. Because a good logo says everything without saying a word. And so I want to interpret for you what this says about us. But first, I want you to notice what our low, new logo is not, what you don't see, what's different, what's not there. You may notice that the bell tower, there's no mention at all of our building. Because if we've learned anything in the last 15 months is that the church is more than a building. That it's a people, it's a, it's a group of people collectively committed to moving in the direction of love, of grace, of goodness. You see, I think for far too long, this church has been relying on our reputation, relying on the beauty of our building. So our logo no longer represents our building, but rather our vision of who we believe that God is calling us to be. You see, at the center of the logo is the cross, and it's not just any cross, but the cross of St. Andrew, who is the patron saint of Scotland. This is the cross that is featured in the chalice logo of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, our, our denomination. That's a nod to our Scottish Presbyterian roots of our founding fathers, Thomas and Alexander Campbell. And so this cross is in the center of our new logo. It's a nod to our disciples' roots, our role as a flagship church within our denomination. Because we have always been, we will always be a disciples' church, a, a people of the table. And that is our DNA. It's an important, crucial, central part to who we are. But you'll also notice that there are also four points on the outside that speak to us about moving outwardly beyond our building, towards others as a reminder to us that we are to be outwardly focused. There's also a stained glass window right here in the sanctuary that speaks of taking the gospel to the four corners of the earth. As the great poet T.S. Eliot once wrote, we shall not cease from our exploration. And in many ways, it's that spirit of invitation, that spirit of journey that goes to the heart of Jesus's message. And it was Scott Colglazier, one of my predecessors here at UCC, that said essentially that there are two types of churches in the world today. There are answer churches and there are journey churches, and that we are unequivocally and unapologetically a journey church. 
that we recognize in the words of Scott, that faith is not so much about collecting answers as it is discovering the essence of spiritual courage. And it is courage that we need for the journey. And so if you're on a journey, what you need to help navigate through all of the complexities of life is a compass, which is what those four points represent, the four points of a compass for a journey church. Those points also create, you may notice, multiple ways in. It represents an openness, a, a rootedness of our congregation and of our life together. Some have pointed out that this image, this new visual identity, it's fresh, it's clean, it's modern. And it will appeal to those that we are trying to bring into our community of faith, the next generation of Christians that will carry our mantle into the future. And as we've been rolling this out, there have been some that have loved, who've embraced, who've been excited about this new representation about of who we are and, and who we aspire to be. And admittedly, there have been some who have not yet, not yet fully embraced the vision. And I get that. And I understand. But I want you to think of it this way. Let's imagine that you were invited to a church potluck. And you love church potlucks. Who doesn't love church potlucks? So you prepare and you make a jello mold salad because you are of the generation that knows that every church potluck needs a jello mold salad. And so you come and you gather at the church and you sat down on the table there, your jello mold salad. And as you were doing so, you noticed that just next to your jello mold salad is a plate of roasted Brussels sprouts. You may not like Brussels sprouts. In fact, you may hate Brussels sprouts. But let me ask you, what do you do in that moment? Are you so repulsed that someone else had the audacity to bring Brussels sprouts to the church potluck that you, that you pick up your jello mold salad and you storm out the door? Or do you say, that's okay. I may not like Brussels sprouts, but I suppose there are some that do. And that plate of Brussels sprouts, that's for them. In fact, I'm going to have less so they can have more. Have you noticed that every time you buy something now, they always want you to fill out a survey. Take this survey and we'll give you 10% off your next time you come back. After every purchase, fill out this survey. We are constantly fixed on trying to please everyone. But here's the thing. We have the sense that everything that feels good to us, we think will feel comfortable to everybody else. What we prefer, we just assume that everyone else will prefer. But that might not be the case. I know of a disciples church, a very small congregation that has some young families who like to do things differently, and that's caused some conflict, in particular around their preference in music. And so they got everybody together, about 30 people, and they asked, now how many of you like the old hymns that the church sings? And about 15 hands went up. And they said, okay, well, how many of you like the new, lively praise songs? And again, about 15 hands went up. And then they thought for a moment, then they said, now, how many of you love the other people who didn't raise their hand when you did enough so that, so that they can have what they love so that we can all be here together and worship as the whole people of God? 
A couple of weeks ago, I told you about Mike Reinhardt, the Lutheran bishop here in Texas, and his theory about mainline churches and how they have ceased to be relevant to the culture because insiders trump outsiders every time. You see, this logo, this visual identity, this this entire strategic messaging campaign is specifically designed to appeal to those that we believe that God is calling us to reach that we think would love us if they just got to know us, if they could just see how genuine our love is. You see, it's not about us. It's about them. It's about what they want, about what they need, what they are longing for, what they are searching for. And so our job, our call to action, our one responsibility is to take the courageous love of Jesus Christ into the world and to live that love out genuinely, authentically, sincerely, from the center of who we are, so that when others see how we live, they can be compelled and they can discover that love for themselves and learn to carry that love with them wherever they go. Amen.